is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. Find your seat, and we'll um, we're going to spend uh, some time continuing in our series, Luke's account of the gospel. My name's Kevin. Just to help you out. Um, and uh, we had an agreement, John and I, that uh, between us we would look at chapter 11 um, over last week and this week. Uh, and I was away last week. I've listened to his talk on the podcast, on the website. If you haven't heard it, I highly recommend that to you. Uh, and John looked at, at the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, first four verses of this chapter. So we're going to look at the rest of the chapter today. But don't worry, we're not going to be doing it verse by verse. But I am going to read the chapter. Uh, and one of the reasons that I, I want to do that, well, one reason is it's really good to read the chapter. And actually it starts to put things in perspective because Luke... Um, has carefully researched this story, he's interviewed lots of people, he's collected lots of information, and he's edited his account. Um, and it's not kind of heresy to say that when we read a gospel, we're not watching News 24. This is not a minute-by-minute minute blow. Uh, Luke has put together a series of stories. And what happens through this chapter, actually, is that he builds on the things that Jesus has been teaching right at the beginning. So we find that, actually... There are some themes that come out of the Lord's Prayer, uh, which build on in the chapter. We're going to have a look at three of those. Uh, And the second reason I think it's good to do is because actually it's really good to read the Bible different ways at different times. Um, And I would just encourage you personally in your own time reading the Bible. Sometimes it's appropriate to spend a long time looking at a particular uh, passage or a verse or maybe even a word And at other times, you might want to read great stretches of the Bible all in one go. That's actually a good and helpful way to read the Bible. So um, we're going to do that in practice. There's no point just saying it, is there? Um, We might as well put it into practice. So we're going to read Luke 11. I hope you've got a Bible. Turn to it if you can. And uh, I'll try and point out one or two of the themes as they develop from the Lord's Prayer. So Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he'd finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give anything because he's a friend, yet because of his impudence he will rise and give him whatever he asks. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, 
will give him a scorpion. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Father. Now he was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke and the people marveled. But some of them said, he casts out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, while others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. Remember that phrase. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household fails. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul, and if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Your kingdom come. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armour in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest. And finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits, more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. And as he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you were nursed. And he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. When the crowds were increasing, he began to say, This generation is an evil generation, for it seeks a sign. Well, we know that because Luke's already told us that. But no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Forgive us. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand, so that those who may enter see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright, as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. And while Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at table. That should be at the table, shouldn't it? Unless it's kind of a Yorkshire translation, the ESV. At table. Uh, The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And that's ceremonial washing, not health and safety, washing your hands. And the Lord said to him, 
Now you Pharisees, cleanse the the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools. Did not he who make the outside make the inside also? But give us alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. Woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb, and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. And one of the lawyers answered, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. And Jesus said, Woe to you, lawyers also! For you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you! For you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses, and you consent to the death of the the fathers. For they killed them, and you build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves and you hindered those who were entering. As he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. Let's just pray for a moment. Father, we we thank you for your words. Thank you that we have the words of Jesus recorded for us. And we want to ask you, Holy Spirit, will you come and bring them alive to us personally this morning so that we are changed by the things that you say. Amen. Okay, I want to just um, briefly just to look at one verse, sort of two-thirds of the way through, verse 34, when Jesus says, When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. And he's not talking about physical eyesight. He's talking about the way we see things. So all of us filter what we see. Now, I can understand this physically very easily because I wear glasses. So um, if I take my glasses off, the world looks a very different place. The people on the front row here are in slightly soft focus. You look gorgeous. It's like like wedding photographs. Uh, At the back, I haven't got a clue who you are. Uh, This used to cause me some difficulty when we took the children to Waterworld. Uh, has the potential for very embarrassing mistakes to be made. Everything I see is filtered by my glasses. And not only, not only is it um, to bring it into focus, but I, I wear transition lenses as well. I've been wearing these for about 25 years. So if I go out on a bright day, winter, summer, doesn't matter, my glasses go dark. Everything is kind of a shade of grey as I view the world. It's fairly consistent. Everything is filtered. But actually, everything that we see and read and experience, we filter through different personal filters. 
And some of them are cultural. We're actually going to be looking at a cultural filter that we have. But there are lots of cultural filters. We understand things in a certain way because this is the society we're brought up in. These are the values that we're given. These are the things that we're taught and understand. And when, when cultures uh, kind of come into contact with each other, you realize, oh, actually, there's a whole different set of standards here. It's not about what's right or wrong. It's just about, well, this is how I was brought up. This is what I understand. You might have experienced things um, as a child or in your life. You might have had traumatic events. And you, you see everything kind of filtered through what's happened to you in the past. It's a bit like when you're at the opticians and they get, you know you have like a, uh, a green circle with a little black dot in the middle and a red circle with a little black dot in the middle. And they, they chuck a, a, a filter in front of your eye, I don't know which... Which background has the clearest black dot? Oh, it's the green one. Uh, there's another filter. Yeah, it's still the green one. Ah, oh, no, no, it's the red one. Everything changes. We see everything changes when we filter stuff through what we have experienced. How we have grown up. What we have learned and been taught. We're going to look at an example in a minute if, that's, if you're not quite following that. That's okay. And what Jesus is saying is, well, how do you see things? Because everything changes depending how you're filtering things. So, let's look at three things that this passage speaks about. The first is about being children of God. Now, John uh, spoke a little bit about this. Oh, my slide's too big. Being his children. John spoke a little bit about uh, being children of God uh, last week. So I don't want to kind of go over too much of that ground, but I really want to emphasize that when we understand what it is to be his children with the kind of father that he is, it completely changes our perspective of who we are and, and our place in the world. So God speaks about, Jesus speaks about God being this incredibly generous providing father but note what he provides he provides the holy spirit he gives the holy spirit to those who ask him actually we need the holy spirit to have godly filters because it's the holy spirit who teaches us truth so the holy spirit is the one who helps us filter everything well but we have become god's children now that changes our place in the world that changes who we are Because God has become our Father. That is a right that Jesus gave us. We don't have many rights, actually. I know we have a a Human Rights Act, and, you know, it's my human right. Forget all that. We don't have many rights, but there is a, a right that the Bible says we have. To everyone who believed in him, he gave them the right to become children of God. So that's in John. So, and when he writes a letter, he says, how great is the love that the Father has lavished upon us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. And when Paul writes to the Galatians, he says, we didn't receive a spirit that makes us a slave against a fear. We received the spirit of adoption as sons. Now, here's the cultural filter. Because we have a very 21st century Western view of adoption. Uh, basically, we adopt children who are kind of hopefully under 18 months old. Beyond that, it's very rare and unusual. And we kind of hope things will work out. Now, my parents did this because my my mum couldn't have children. So they adopted a girl. And then a few years later, they had me. And it didn't work out. 
and uh, they, my sister left home when she was 15. They never saw her again, never spoke to her again. Um, it, it didn't work out. And we kind of think, oh, is that, is that what it is to be adopted as God's child? Is, does God kind of take a chance and maybe it doesn't work? Well, actually, that's not what Paul is talking about at all. That's not what it is to be children of God. We need just to delve into the Roman culture that Paul is writing to. Now, I really want to recommend this book to you, Adopted into God's Family. In fact, this whole series of books is absolutely fantastic. Um, And in it, we get a little bit of an explanation about adoption because the Romans used to adopt people as adults to inherit from the father of the family, regardless of whether he had other children. You see, he might... He might be a man and he's built a great reputation for himself and he's a man of high standing and he's got children and he thinks, well, they're just a waste of space, basically. If they inherit from me, it's going to go up the wall. And he'd look and he might find a man who'd served in his household as a servant for many years who was of great character and he thought, this man deserves to inherit from me and he would adopt him as his son so that someone worthy of receiving his inheritance would receive it. So, adoption was a means of succession to power was brought about from the first century to the middle of the second century AD. So, this is the time the Bible was being written. This is why it's important. Successive Roman emperors adopted men not related to them by blood with the intention that the adoptee should succeed the emperor. Adoption became crucial to the continuation of the line of Julio-Claudian emperors. So, from Octavian, 27 BC to AD 14, he, uh, he was adopted. He adopted Tiberius, who adopted Gaius Caligula, who adopted Claudius, who adopted Nero, up to AD 68. So, while Paul is writing, we have received the spirit of adoption as sons, The Roman emperors are adopting men to become emperors after them, regardless of whether or not they had their own children. It caused Nero a problem because he wanted to marry his his sister, who was only his sister because he had been adopted to become emperor. They weren't blood relatives. And it caused him a real problem. Now that changes our perspective of what it is to be children of God, doesn't it? Because suddenly God has looked at you And come to the conclusion that you are worthy of being his child. You are worthy of inheriting all that he has for you. He has chosen you, not in the hope that it will work out, but in the sure and certain knowledge that you are worth inheriting from him. We are children of God because he has adopted us knowing who we are because we are filled with the spirit of his son. That changes things, doesn't it? So how do you see things? Do you see yourself going to Father God asking for something like Oliver Twist? Please, sir, can I have some more? My hope used to call me sir. When they were very small, I used to read them the railway stories. It became Thomas the Tank Engine, but I grew up with Johnny Morris doing the railway stories. Absolutely fantastic. So I used to read them to the girls. And she thought I was like the fat controller, which 
I'm more like him now than I used to be. And uh, we'd be in a shop, and, and Hope would stand next to me and say, please, sir, can I go and have a look at the books? And I'd get these really strange looks from people. Is that how we, are we coming to a God who might have lost his temper today? Has he had a bad day at work? Is he going to lose it with me? Are we, coming, are we coming to a father who may or may not love me? No, we're not. We're not. We're coming to a God who has chosen us because he considers us worthy of inheritance because we are filled with the spirit of his son. And we can ask him for the Holy Spirit and he will joyfully, generously, there was no one, give us the Holy Spirit. How do you see things? Okay, so Jesus has taught about that and then he sees a man who is mute. Except he doesn't. That's not what Jesus sees. Jesus sees a man who is oppressed by an evil spirit and he sets him free. And they have a bit of a debate about how he did that. How do we see ourselves in terms of bringing God's kingdom? What's tomorrow going to be for you? We can move on a slide. Bringing his kingdom. What is tomorrow for you? Is tomorrow your first day back at work next week? Or even worse, your first day back at work this term? Uh, Why do you live where you live? Why, Why do you know the people you know? Why do you have the interests you have? Is it it because that's just kind of how life has panned out for you? Or is it because God has placed you there to bring his kingdom? Do you see work colleagues? Do you see people who live in the house with you or live in the street with you? Or do you see people who are oppressed by an enemy and need to be set free? You see... When Jesus looks at this crowd that's gathered around him, he starts to get a bit frustrated. I I asked on uh, uh, Facebook this week if anybody could tell me whether Jesus was just in a mard on this particular day. He just got out the wrong side of bed. Uh, Nobody dared answer me. Um, So thanks for your help in preparing. But he starts to lose it with this generation. Why? Because they don't see what God is doing in terms of his kingdom coming. Jesus is saying, look, the kingdom has come. If I heal a man, if I cast out a demon by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come. Even the queen of Sheba travelled all the way to speak to Solomon because she knew his wisdom. Someone greater than Solomon is here. You don't see it. The men of Nineveh, At least they repented when they heard the preaching of Jonah. At least they turned from their sins and could be saved. And I'm greater than Jonah, and yet you don't see it. And I think, I don't want to miss what God is doing. I don't want to miss what God is doing. I want to be part of bringing his kingdom in. That is not a passive prayer. You don't pray, your kingdom come, and then kind of sit down and think, so, let it happen. 
It's not how it works. We are the children of God, filled with the Spirit, to bring his kingdom to the people that we meet and the people that we work with, the people in our family and our house and our street and our community. We are here to bring the kingdom of God to this city. What is God doing? Because I don't want to be someone who misses out on it because I can't see it. I was, so, example. The other week when we were thinking about spacious places... And, and the spacious land. I, had, I haven't asked permission for this, so I've got to be careful what I say. But um, while I was talking about that, one of the things that I said was, I think that God is going to release new ministries, that we're going to be doing things as a church we haven't done before. And sure enough, later in the morning, I got to pray with someone, and God was birthing uh, an outreach ministry. And this person was so taken and so filled with the spirit about this is what God is calling me to do. It's really, really good. I think, yeah. And even when I was praying with them, I'm thinking, this is fantastic. God has got a new way of reaching some of our communities. I want to be part of it. I want to bless it. I mean, I might not be there myself, but, you know, I'm I'm behind it. This is God. And I I really want to encourage this. I want to be part of what God is doing. And, And part of that for me is the gifts of the Spirit that I see Jesus using in his everyday life that in my experience are fairly limited to meetings. So when Jesus is talking to people, he has words of knowledge and words of prophecy. And I think, I want that in my conversations with people. It's great that we have them when we gather on a Sunday or when we're in our life groups together, that people have words of knowledge. The Spirit gives those gifts. That's fantastic. We receive that. But, you know, Jesus exercised those gifts in every conversation that he had. I would love to do that. I would, I would, that, that's a real, that's just a desire I've had for years. I can't, you know, I'd love to say I'm growing in it. I, I haven't grown in it very much. But those moments when you're in a conversation with someone and God just says, speak to them about this. And it just, everything changes. Why? Because you're bringing the kingdom. You're bringing the kingdom. This is what our life is about. Our life isn't about the job that we do or the clothes that we wear or the people that we... We're not, we're not hedonists. We're not here just to have a great time because life is short. That's a very postmodern cultural filter. You know, we evolve from nothing. Life is meaningless. We just need to get the best out of our years here and then we die. That is a very postmodern, God isn't real kind of filter. No, that's not our filter. Our filter is this. God loves people. And he wants more to become his children. And he wants more to be set free. And we have a part to play in it. In fact, that is why we're here. We are here to help the kingdom of God come in all its fullness by demonstrating it and teaching it and proclaiming it. How do we see things? How do you see your life? How do you see your week ahead? And then lastly, Jesus gets angry with the Pharisees and the lawyers. And one of the reasons for that, I think, is, in fact, Jesus seems to get more angry with religious people putting on a show than he does with sinners. Now, I'm not saying there isn't judgment. There is judgment for sin. But nothing seems to get under his skin quite as much as people pretending that they're doing really well with God when they're not. And we have to be really careful 
In fact, there's two sides to this. The first side is we have to be really careful not to fall into that trap. You know, if the only time that we spend with God is when there are other Christians around, we're already in that trap. It's become a show. You know, if the only time you pray is when you're in life group or when you're here on a Sunday and, and you don't have a personal day-by-day experience of God, you're already falling into the trap that the Pharisees were in. They loved people looking at them. They, they loved to pray long prayers. They loved to stand on street corners. They loved the honor of it all. But Jesus says, but there's nothing inside. In fact, if you read Matthew's account of, of uh, this meal, Jesus describes them as whitewashed tombs. They look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, they're just dead. We need to have people in our lives that we can have heart-to-heart conversations with who know the mess that, that we have inside at times. I'm not saying we're all in a mess all the time, but you know, we need to have people that we can talk to. Life groups need to be a place where we are accountable to one another. The, the, the other people who've gathered around us, we're accountable to them. And they understand, maybe not every, everything, but they understand some of what we're working through. And we know some of what we're, they're working through. And we're real with each other. Because Jesus hates just pretending it's okay. He just doesn't like that. And the other side of it is, I don't want to settle for just superficial relationships with people. Are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. Oh, great. That doesn't help anybody. So I want to be the kind of person, like Jesus, who can put his finger on something and say, actually, what about this? Not in a kind of putting you down, keeping you in your place kind of way. Jesus never does it like that. But in a, I need to set you free from this kind of way. So I want to have those kind of relationships with other people, not only so that I can grow in God, although I do want that, but so that they can grow in God. Now, we can't have that with everybody we meet, can we? But it's important to seek those kinds of relationships. And actually, so this raises an interesting question for me, and I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to upset anybody, but there is a question about what are our meetings really all about? And who do we expect to be here? What are life groups really all about? And who do we expect to be there? Because I tell you this, if in your head you believe that people are going to come because they are exploring the Christian faith, even though they're not saved and they don't really know Jesus, but they know something and they want to find out more. If If our meetings have a number of people in that situation in them, what we say and what we do will be different. Now, there's nothing. I used to love life group when we had people who weren't Christians coming to life group. It just changes everything. And we had this lad, he was living well. I think the only reason he came to life group was because Mel and I gave him dinner every week beforehand. So he'd come to us and he'd have a a decent meal and then he'd stay for life group. It was kind of a bit of a trade-off. And he'd come to Sunday meetings with us sometimes. And one, one evening in our life group, I started to ask him what he was understanding about the gospel. And um, he just started talking about stuff that he'd been picking up and things he'd been hearing and where he was understanding from. And I said, one of the girls in the, in the life, not one of our girls, somebody else's child in the group was saying, why is Kevin asking all these questions? He knows the answers. But actually what this guy was doing was he was preaching the gospel to himself. 
I said to kind of point him in the right direction. And he was preaching the gospel to himself. I tell you, it changes your life group when you start drawing in people who are not Christians. And you do different things. And you speak differently. And your language has to be different. Our Sundays will start to look very different when we get our heads around this. People who don't know Jesus yet are going to start coming and looking in. That means, that means we have to change. Now, I realize that's uncomfortable because we don't like change, do we? This is for us. Now, just come and just accept who we are and what we're doing. Well, I'm not sure about that. I don't think that's very missionally minded. I think it will change. And listen, if we're going to grow, it's not because people have become Christians and decide to come. It's because people are exploring the Christian faith and their friendships with us And this is one of the things that they will come to as part of that process. And if we pretend that we're perfect and everything's great, we're not really helping them. And the lawyers, and I I do love this kind of... So Jesus has just completely slated the Pharisees. And this guy's sitting on the other side of the table because he's not a Pharisee, he's a lawyer. And he's kind of like, Jesus, when when you slag them off, you make me look bad. And Jesus comes and turns around and says... Well, that's because you are. Because you load people down with loads of stuff, but you don't help them live it. And and this is another thing we have to be really careful about when we're leading people to Jesus, is that we don't impose on people loads of rules and regulations. You have to do this. You have to do this. You have to be like this. That's why at the beginning of what's so amazing about grace, when Philip Yancey's held that party for the prostitute, and he says, you know, why don't you go to a church? He's like, oh, I could never go there. I'm not good enough to go there. I heard a story when I was at so Caring for Ex-Offenders, this ministry that um, works with people who've become Christians on Prison Alpha. This guy had done an Alpha course in prison. He'd become a Christian. They'd given him a certificate uh, and he, he was encouraged to go to his local church with his certificate to say he's become a Christian to see if he could join them. So he went and he took his certificate and the church said to him, we don't want your sort here. And that's, how, that's one of the ways that caring for ex-offenders came about in terms of working with churches who would receive people who'd been in prison. Because we can't just say, well, you've got to live like this and your pastor's got to be like this and this is how you've got to be. People are far from God. People are far from God. And if they're going to explore relationship with Jesus and they're going to go through the process of coming to know him and becoming a Christian, they're not going to jump from where they are to where we think they should be the moment they walk through the door. It's a journey. Let's, let's not be like the teachers of the law who kind of load people down with, well, you've got to get all this sorted first. Let's love people and accept them and bring them to Jesus and encourage them to pray, Father, give me your Holy Spirit so that they can become children and let the Holy Spirit deal. Now, I'm not saying, you know, let's back away from teaching certain things. Jesus doesn't compromise on what the law says and what God requires of his people. I'm not saying that. But we are not other people's conscience. Let's let them receive the Holy Spirit, teach them, encourage them, love them, correct and rebuke them at the right time. But let them have their journey with God. How do you see things? We are here to build his people. We are here to encourage one another and strengthen each other and and help each other in our walk with God. That's why we're here this morning. 
That's why we're going to get together in life groups uh, or prayer meeting this week and life groups on other weeks because we are here to help and encourage and strengthen one another. We're not here to lay burdens on each other. We're not here to pretend everything is fine. I'm fantastic. You, you can't help me. I, I, I grew up as a teenager with a guy who seems to have got everything sorted. It was so discouraging. It was so discouraging. When I was the very first time I was asked to speak on an Alpha course, I was uh, I was asked to do the talk about reading the Bible, and my pastor was there. Uh, so I was, um, oh, actually, by then Hope was a was a newborn child, um, and I had lived with the impression that my my pastor read the Bible every single day, and that's what all the other Christians in my church did, because that's what they always said. Yeah, everyone should read the Bible every day. So I thought everybody did, and I knew I didn't. And I had to do this talk on how to read the Bible. And Nicky Gumbel's talk says, the best way to read the Bible is to read the Bible every day. And I, I'm just thinking, I can't say that with integrity, because I don't. And I went through this hugely difficult kind of, how do I handle that when my pastor is there moment, and decided, well, actually, I've just got to be truthful. So I was just truthful. If you read it every day, that's great, but I don't. And I think that's still okay. And torment, he came up to me afterwards. He was approaching me afterwards. And I was like, oh my word, you're just going to tell me how, how wrong I am. And I've just misled these people. And he said, I read my Bible every day. Oh, why didn't you tell me that 15 years ago? My life would have been so much easier if I'd known you didn't do that. Do you know, it's no shock. I love my wife to bits. We do not have a perfect marriage. I love my kids. I am not the perfect dad. Let's, let's not pretend, because that doesn't help people. So one of the things we do with our children, I've said this before, um, I think, is you know, when we are having a hard time in life and things are difficult, we help our children. That they understand it. They know some of what's going on. They know most of what's going on. And we walk them through it. Because how else are they going to learn how to handle things in life when they're hard if we don't teach them? Now, my parents are of that generation where that didn't happen. I know nothing about my parents' life. They would tell me nothing. I would turn up at the weekend to find that my mum had been in hospital and had operation or my dad had been in hospital because he'd had a heart attack. And they hadn't told me because they didn't want me to worry. That did not help me learn how to deal with those things. So I, I deal with my children completely differently. We just tell them everything and say, right, now we're going to pray about it. And we're going to bring it to God. Because that's how you help them. And we need to be like that with one another. Let's be honest. Let's be real. We are here to strengthen the church so that the church can grow and bring the kingdom to people who don't know Jesus yet. How do you see it? How do you see it? Jesus' frustration with these people is that they were the ones who were meant to be leading, pastoring, shepherding, teaching the people of God. And they were just making life more difficult. Let's not do that. So, if your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. It's about how you see things. How you see what it is to be a child of God how you see what it is to bring his kingdom, how you see what it is to be building his people. This is what God has called us to do. How am I doing? My watch is broken, so I'm borrowing the watch. I'm not doing too bad. Um, let's pray.
pray and are we are we able to come yeah let's pray we're going to pray uh adam's going to bring himself and mel you're here you can sing fantastic there's enough here father thank you that you love us and have adopted us as your children Thank you, Lord, that you pour out your Holy Spirit to all your children who ask. We're asking you this morning, Lord, come and give your spirit to us. We want to, we want to be people who really understand properly what it is to be your children. And we want to live our lives with the freedom and the authority that that entails. We want to be people who bring your kingdom to those around us who live our lives uh, longing to see people come to know you and to respond to you, to be set free from the things that oppress them. We want to be people who bring your freedom and your joy and your grace and your mercy into this world, Lord. And we want to be people who strengthen and encourage one another so that we can all do that more effectively. Father, would you just come in these moments as we sing and would you... Give us your spirit. Point out those areas in life where things need to be different. Lord, bring words of encouragement where that's appropriate, Lord, so that we can live free lives as your children. That's what we want, Lord. The way that Jesus saw it, that's what we want. Father, come. to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk and come along on any Sunday morning.